Hey, everybody, before we get started, an incomparable programming note. Doctor Who is back on the air, and we are doing live flashcasts right after every episode, but not in the main Incomparable feed. If you want to listen to those, go to theincomparable.com and look for the TV podcast. You'll find ways to subscribe there, or just search for TV, T-E-E-V-E-E, in your podcast client of choice. You'll find it, subscribe, and you'll get the flashcast as soon as we do them. Thanks. The Incomparable, number 209, August 2014. Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We uh, are here to talk about Star Trek because we discovered in episode 200 that everybody's favorite episodes of The Incomparable were about Star Wars, which is funny since your host actually has a deep abiding love of Star Trek and although likes Star Wars just fine, um, would probably pick Star Trek over Star Wars if one had to. And yet uh, my, my, my own very own podcast just doesn't have enough Star Trek representation. So we're going to correct that. Uh, tonight with an episode uh, topic suggested by the great Moises Chuyan, who in true Glenn Fleischman fashion has suggested a topic and then not been on the episode. He is unable to be here, but he suggested the topic, so he's here in spirit. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk, we'll probably um, do this again sometime because there's so many topics, but this is going to be about the best and worst of Star Trek. I guess we could even say part one because we'll probably have to do this again. And in a semi-draft format, but really let's just say a discussion, a roundtable discussion, we're going to talk about some of the best and worst things in Star Trek. I have a, a fine group of Star Trek uh, viewers, experts, fans, what have you, with me tonight to talk about it. I'm going to start with the host of our very own uh, Random Trek podcast that uh, many of us have been on or are about to be on. It's Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. I'm glad that we're doing this because I don't think there's enough Star Trek represented on the internet. Yeah, you're with me. Yeah, there's <laughs> really not. It's not like it used to be. It used to be all Star Trek, and now that percentage of the internet devoted to Star Trek has been going down over time. Every year it goes down. And we need to get it back up. That's right. J.J. Abrams, help us. We're going to do our part. Uh, Tony Sindelar is also here. Hi, Tony. Hi, Jason. I'm really looking forward to like arguing about which is a better bureaucracy, like the Obsidian Order or Tal Shiar. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. That may be in episode like five, part five of Best and Worst in Star Trek. Bureaucracies. Um, or maybe it'll be sooner. Uh, you you heard her a few episodes ago, and she's back for her second tour of duty and a Star Trek fan, which is uh, also one of the things that prompted me doing this episode. Now it's Brianna Wu. Hello. Welcome back. What's crackalacking? Ah, we're crackalacking again. I knew. I got my... I, I now am prepared for crackalacking, so... I, I have a question. Are we going to all be friends after this episode? We because are. Because I was... You, you enter friends, you leave friends... And whatever happens in here is just all part of the podcast, and it's uh, it's all neutralized. It's like we rub decontamination gel on our bodies oh, afterward. No. <laughs> I have to tell you, I will talk about some controversial stuff, but I was looking over these questions, and it's stuff even I wouldn't touch on Twitter. So like. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we're gonna just we're gonna dip our toe in it, and the beauty of it is we will all just have a good time here. The pe- what's gonna happen though is people's um, iPhones are going to like explode when they hear what we're saying and be like, no, I can't. Oh no. <laughs> and that's good. That's what makes for good podcasting. Um, and David Lore is also out there. He he will probably have incredibly ridiculous and controversial opinions too. I would assume, just knowing you. Hello. I, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, as as many times as I have watched the the original Star Wars movies, and I guess some other things that exist in the Star Wars universe, I've probably watched The Wrath of Khan more times than all of those combined. That may be true for me too. 
Um, all right, so Star Trek, uh, best and worst in Star Trek. Here's how, how this is going to work. Uh, we're going to go around in uh, in, a, in a circular fashion that may or may not be perceived as a draft. Although, if people want to agree, <laughs> the, the point is not the point is not that that you're assembling a team that you're going to then deploy in some way. I think it's more that we would like to come up with some suggestions uh, f- and opinions about the good and the bad. And that's that's a key here. Is we're going to do a we're going to do some positivity. We're going to do some negativity, and uh, it should be an interesting just some discussion points having fun as you might if you were gathering around a table with a uh, group of your friends who like Star Trek to talk about Star Trek except that there is no table and it's the internet and it's Skype instead and it's a recorded and therefore a podcast and that brings us back to where we started. Anyway first up is best episodes of Star Trek and this this is on one level this is pretty easy on another level it's incredibly hard because uh, you have to pick, and I figured maybe we'd go around a couple of times, but I wanted to, uh, to let everybody pick some of their their favorites, the ones that uh, that they think are are among the best. And we're going to start um, with our uh, our newest member, Brianna. Do you have a favorite, a best episode of Star Trek that you want to throw out there? I absolutely do. And uh, just to get the controversy started, it's a Voyager <laughs> episode, so let's let's just let's do this. I have I have a Voyager episode on my list too, actually. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you you misfiled it, Jason. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's on. Here we go. Hold on tight. One of my one of my favorite episodes of Voyager is Course Oblivion, and we can just spoil everything yes. here, right? Okay. So basically, what happens is it the episode starts off, and characters slowly start to die over the course of the episode, and you find out that they are. Every member of Voyager is basically um, a copied member of the actual crew of Voyager that have been like um, duplicated by this like liquid thing that came from a demon planet. And it sounds like kind of a kitschy concept, but it's a really, it's the most sad, depressing episode of Star Trek I've ever seen because your characters are themselves. They're, they're the characters you've come to love, but they slowly die and just kind of disintegrate in front of you. And the very end of it, they completely fail to get all this information about transwarp technology over to the real Voyager. So all of their lives were for nothing. And it's just a fantastic, uh, you know, science fiction story. You like it dark, is what you're I saying. I do, I do. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've seen that episode. I should, I should watch it. Yeah, I'd like to watch just to watch the crew of Voyager die. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> you had me from they all die. You, you knew that had to be part of the pitch. And there's a demon planet with goo that makes duplicates, which is, you know, that again, that story again. That's how Tasha Yar died. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I, I, I would say it's fan service, but maybe that's not quite the right, right. word. All right. Course Oblivion from Voyager. That's a good one. Scott, what do you have? I will pick. I spent more time getting my list of characters than episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But I will pick uh, a Deep Space Nine episode uh, called Duet, which is actually from the first season. Oh, that's a great episode. And this is the, the episode where uh, a Cardassian ends up on the this uh, on Deep Space Nine, on this space station, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, some space station. Uh, Deep Space Nine would be the space station. Uh, and he has he's suffering from a disease, but no one knows why he's there. Uh, and it turns out that the, he could only get the disease if he were on uh, Bajor, when it was occupied, and if he was in this particular... A site of this this massacre, uh, but he he says that he wasn't there. It wasn't him. 
And uh, Kira Norris is doesn't believe him, and it turns out at the end that he is the guy who orchestrated this whole massacre, and he's he uh, he's very unhappy man, uh, and he wants them to kill him, and it's 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 just a great episode, and I think Kira Norris really comes into her own as a character in that episode, and there's a lot of tense uh, scenes, and it's fantastic. I like that one a lot. That's a really that was that was the episode that made me sit up and, t- and take notice that Deep Space Nine was going to do some things that were not necessarily what uh, Next Generation was going to do. Yeah, I, I really like that episode too. See, we're all getting along. <laughs> <laughs> it's a calm before the storm. Tony, uh, I, the top of my list is also a Cardassian episode, but a Next Gen Cardassian episode, uh, Chain of Command, which is a two-parter. So. I guess if you pick one of them to pick an episode, Chain of Command Part 2, which is the uh, famous episode where uh, Picard is on like a secret mission while there's like a diplomatic meeting with the Cardassians and he gets captured and he is interrogated. And there are these long scenes where the interrogator is like trying to break him down and, and Picard will just, he will not break. And it's the, the famous line, you know, there are four lights when the Cardassian is trying to get him over and over again to say that there are five lights when there are only four lights. Um, and, you know, it's relatively dark as far as Star Trek episodes go. Those are some of the ones that... I like uh, or I find the most interesting, even if they are sometimes not the most Star Trek-y. But uh, I, I think that one's a great one. And, it, you know, yeah, one of my favorites. Plus, you get Ronnie Cox as the yep. fill-in uh, captain on the Enterprise. and Data he, briefly gets promoted. He gets to wear a red uh, red uniform, I well, think. He, he, to, goes, yeah. he goes to, like, a different shift structure oh. for the bridge, which upsets everybody <laughs> that there's new – there's new. nothing really is more exciting than Starship time, uh, you know, time management. <laughs> It's just endlessly fascinating. Yeah, yeah where they're like, oh, what, but what do you mean there's going to be three shifts instead of two shifts? I'm like, well, I like <laughs> to do it that way, jerks. And all the way, by the way, Troy, put on a uniform, right? That's this episode, isn't it? I think, I think it is. So I think nobody yeah. likes Ronnie Cox. Also, what I remember is that it's the most ill-conceived um, mission on which he gets captured. It's like Picard and Crusher wearing like little jumpsuits in a in a glittery cave and then it all goes wrong because it's all been a setup but it, it seems like an un, uh, unplanned poorly planned uh, secret mission well there was the premise that it was kind of it was supposed to be a trap to get Picard because they that he had the secret you know fleet knowledge that they needed but I would not send Picard on any secret missions I feel like <laughs> there's other people that I consider way more disposable than him <laughs> and like I feel like he's well, just not you know he's more of a you know Let's keep him on the bridge making decisions up there and not, like, let's send him down into a spooky cave full of Cardassians who want to kill him. Are you saying you can't imagine Picard fighting a Gorn? Because I could totally imagine that. That would be great. But, like, two Gorn? I don't think he could fight two Gorn. I feel like one go- one Gorn is the limit. He would out. <laughs> he would outthink them. Mm. He would totally. Yeah, I could see that. So you think he could beat, like, four Gorn at space? At least time? ten. At, At least, least ten. ten. There yeah. are four Gorn. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it, Jason. <laughs> if if he can handle a Nausicaan, he can handle a Gorn. Well, but that was a younger Picard, right? Okay. And also, he didn't yeah. totally handle it. Yeah, there, I, I don't. I don't want to ruin that episode for you if you've only seen the first like minute and a half of it. But, like, <laughs> wow, this fight is going really well. Let me change the channel. <laughs> I don't need to read the watch. Watch the rest of this episode. He's totally got this situation under control. <laughs> I'm just saying, when when Admiral Akbar sent him on this mission, we should have known it was a trap. That's all I'm saying. Reference acknowledged. Thank you. That was a little Star Wars. I threw, threw some Star Wars in there for people who are feeling starved of Star Wars. That's fan service. Yeah, right that's yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just helping out. Just yeah. helping out. I threw it under the bus earlier. I'm bringing it back now. Um, David, 
Yeah, well done, Tony. David, uh, I, I, that's one where I think there's like a core of it that's pretty good, and then there's a bunch of stuff in it that's kind of weird and strange, and yeah. The B-plot, I mean, the B-plot in a lot of next-gen episodes is like, might as well, be, like for half of them, it's, it could be like, you know, Data and Jordy decide to enter a science fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Data can't find Spot. Everybody looks for him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Picard is being tortured. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Borg are invading or, you know, intense diplomatic negotiations. Or, Picard, you know. ashen-faced, returns to the bridge after his terrible uh, experience being tortured and uh, psychologically humiliated and asks Riker, so what happened while I was gone? And they say, well, Data lost his cat for a while. <laughs> I hate I hate all of you. Data is on trial for his humanity. B-plot, Riker's out of socks. Yep. You know. <laughs> right, right, Riker needs to polish the trombone a little bit. That's, Ooh, that's, hey. Hey now. Hey. Uh, David, it's your turn. What do you have? Uh, well, I've gotten into more arguments about this only, only because, only because the default answer is the city on the edge of forever. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes. My favorite of all time. And, and I mean, I love the classic series as a series, um, partly because I grew up with it. But my all-time favorite episode is a Deep Space Nine episode. Oh, my God. The, the Visitor. That's the one where it starts off where this this uh, woman is knocking on a door in, in the rain. And this elderly man opens the door. And it turns out oh, to yeah. be Jake Sisko. And he's a reclusive author. And she's trying to find out why is he a recluse? Why did he stop writing? What happened? And... As he, he grudgingly lets her in and tells the story of what happened, we find out that he lost his father years and years ago, decades ago, during a freak experiment on Deep Space Nine. And he, he continued to live on the station. And every few years, Cisco would appear to him on the station, but they couldn't communicate. It was just sort of, it was kind of like Kirk in the Tholian web, I guess. Yeah. And eventually they start to realize there's a way to bring him back and maybe they could. And, you know, it's sort of, it's a lot of science fiction mumbo jumbo as Star Trek is wont to do. But at the core is just this amazing meditation on fathers and sons and that relationship and what it means to, uh, connect across time and across generations, literally. And, and of course, in the end, Everything is saved and time is put right and Jake is back to being a teenager on the station. But it's just a beautifully written episode. Yeah, I love that one. I just watched that a couple of years ago. It's a really good one. I've never seen it, but you, you sold it to me. It's great. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be doing after I get off this podcast. And like like Course Oblivion, it's one of those things where they take you into the future, and it's this. It, it's you you see a you see a path that isn't actually taken by the main characters. It's rewritten, but it's a beautiful thing to see that. And and it doesn't it doesn't hit the same old story beats, which I like. Um, I mean, I, I love Star Trek. It kills me when I give up on a Star Trek series, but that one's that's absolutely my favorite episode, which surprised me too. It's a great one. 
Okay, I think it's my turn. <laughs> so what am I going to choose? This is so hard. City I, on the Edge of Forever. I, I think, well, no, if I was going to choose original <laughs> series, I was actually going to go with Trouble with Tribbles. And I I, uh, mm. I was uh, oh yeah, I was um, re- more convinced of this than ever than last summer when I was in Portland. I got to see Trek in the Park, where they did a, in a park in the middle of Portland, Oregon. They did a live staging every summer for five years. They did a live staging of a Star Trek episode, and they did Trouble with Tribbles. And I was reminded of just how wacky and funny... And like it, it is seeing it on stage. You can see with with an audience and with actors who know the material that it is, um, it is like a crowd pleasing, legitimately funny thing. It's a great funny piece of writing uh, with these broad characters that we've come to know and love, and see them in these situations. And the Klingons are the butts of the jokes, and the bureaucrats are the butts of the jokes. But I'm not going to pick the trouble with tribbles. <laughs> what? Uh, maybe if we do a second one, uh, I'm going to because I have to pick Darmok. From the uh, next generation, um, which it, I I I loved this episode dearly. Um, there was a kerfuffle on the internet a little while ago about um, somebody wrote about how it was so overrated. And and the thing is, the, the beauty of this episode not only is there the story about um, the 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 captain of the other ship that uh, who sacrifices himself. Um, in order to forge a connection. He risks his life and, in fact, gives his life to forge a connection between their planet and the Federation. Um, you know, this crazy thing that needs to be done just in order to um, to make this connection. But what's really amazing is the first scene you see with uh, the aliens talking to the bridge of the Enterprise, they say all sorts of crazy things that nobody understands. They're like, you know, Chinza at court and uh, you know, Sokath, his, his eyes black, his face red, whatever it is, right? Um, at the very end, it, this episode is bookended by a scene where, once again, they're on the screen of the Enterprise saying all this stuff. And although uh, Riker is there and doesn't understand any of it, Picard has just come back and he understands every word they're saying. And we as an audience understand every word they're saying, because in the course of this episode, we've learned what all their metaphors are and what they mean. And so not only have we taken this kind of emotional journey where the captain and Picard have to fight down on the fight, this beast down on the planet and, and the, the captain dies, but they, they sort of exchange stories before he dies overnight. And then Picard um, comes in to save the day at the end, but we also, as a, as an audience, take this journey about and this story about language and metaphor. And yeah, yeah, if you tried to apply this scientifically, it wouldn't make any sense. But it's kind of a beautiful story of language and metaphor. And then on top of it, I just it's quite a magic trick, I think, for you to go in forty minutes from having this complete nonsense, and at the end, you know exactly what they're saying. It's really a great trick, and I'm blown away every time I see it. So I have to pick it. So you're saying you like that episode? I love it. <laughs> a little bit. It's okay. A little bit? It's yeah. all right. Yeah. It's all right. Picard, how, okay, so here's my complaint about that episode. This is the episode where we get the equivalent of Kirk's blouse. What What is what does Steve Lutz call it? The fat the fat blouse for, for Captain Kirk? This is Picard's leather jacket. It's like comes out of nowhere and he's like, I think I will now have a leather jacket on. And then where did that? It's in Darmok. I don't know why it's there. But um, but yeah, you're Picard. You, you can do what you want. Wear a leather jacket. We don't care. And I, I remember at the time thinking, how can this be this good? This is a guy who wrote for Wings. <laughs> Fine sitcom. Joe Minoski? Oh. No, Philip Lezebnik. Now, Joe Minoski wrote Darmok. Ah, but the story came from... It, w- it was one of those spec scripts that came in. Minoski, I'm sure, 
is but it, it's got joe minoski's prints all over he wrote yeah. he wrote some of the weirdest episodes of the next generation later on including masks which is the the most crazy oh, random episode ever oh, oh that's such a high threshold though of crazy yeah. tng episodes that's quite an accomplishment <laughs> Uh, that's the uh, and uh, what somebody in the chat room just said Darmok asks too much of the viewer and I say that's why I love it is it actually asks something of the viewer and I think it's a beautiful oh. thing so oh. uh, let let us go around um, we might do another best episode that was a lot of fun but I want I want to I want to bring out the bad ones now let's be negative oh, let's yeah. let's <laughs> yeah. let's let's talk let's talk bad Brianna you want to bring out a bring out your dead give me give me something you hate so there's nothing I fight about in my marriage more than my husband who loves TOS and I hate it. And so I have I have over the coast of being <laughs> married to him. I've seen every TOS episode multiple times. And Spock's brain is the stupidest worst <laughs> piece of Star Trek in history. Like words cannot adequately c- communicate how bad a script this is. Like there's a little, there's a line in this that's brain and brain. What is brain? Like, oh, yay! You just can't, you cannot. That's the most spectacularly bad line ever. It's, and it's <laughs> season three is so terrible. It's so awful. This is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> but Oh my god, it's just it's it's embarrassing. Like I'm embarrassed for the actors to be on the show. Like I'm embarrassed <laughs> for like the scene, like the the pieces of set that are there. I'm embarrassed for the writer. It's just it's terrible. And the people that made it should just feel terrible. When and to think that, you know, here they've fought to to bring their show back and and they actually had good episodes waiting and this was the one they started the third season with. <laughs> And and you know how how must it have been to tune in and you just kind of go what oh what did we do? <laughs> uh, it, although brain and brain, what is brain? Is a spectacularly bad episode after they steal Spock's brain, but he still walks around because they put a little thing in him that let them control him with a clicker. Oh, no, it's so uh, with like bad. a. But but I love the line at the end where McCoy has got he's like doing his surgery where he's got like the colored lights shining up in his face and he goes it was so easy Jim a child could do it a child could do it I love that but it's a terrible episode it's terrible all right let's take a brief break so that I can tell you about something cool and I really mean that it's Drobo now I told you about Drobo before Drobo is a a box. Well, it's a company. It's also a box that is full of storage. It's full of data. I used to have, um, well, I still have the Mac Mini. I have a Mac Mini in my house that's basically my home server. And over time, between music and and videos and other, uh, you know, family photos that we stored there, it, uh, (laughs) the Mac Mini ran out of space on its internal drive very quickly. And so I bought an external drive. And then I realized, well, I need to back up this external drive. So I bought another external drive. And then I had a a shortage of space. And I thought, well, I can just buy another external drive. And I ended up with um, like three or four external hard drives all chained off of this Mac Mini. And all of them have fans. And all of them are clicking and clicking in their own way. And uh, if one of them freaked out, they all kind of freaked out because they were all in the same chain. And they're, you know, they're backing up to each other. And, oh, my God. It was, what I'm saying is, it was not ideal. I did not like the situation. And then I got a Drobo. 
Drobo is a single box that's full of hard drives. And not only that, it is uh, protecting your data. They protect against a single hard drive failure. So if one of your drives dies, you pop it out, pop in a new drive, all your data is secure, which is really, really great. So I don't have to do the you know, super duper clone from one place to another every night. Instead, I've got Drobo backing it up intelligently across all of the drives that are in the Drobo box. Now, it does have a fan. It does make some noise. But let me tell you, having one device that is optimized for itself is better than having a chain of individual drives. It, the whole thing is better. It's smaller. It's quieter. It is, uh, I'm very, very happy with it. Now, you too can take control of your storage and eliminate the daisy chain and get a safe, secure, large block of storage in a Drobo. The new third generation Drobo is out. It's a four drive unit. So you can fit four drives in it if you want. It's USB 3.0. It's got a new faster dual-core processor uh, that powers it, and it is three to five times faster than its old four-bay predecessors. It's also more economical. The original four-bay Drobo sold for $499. The Gen 3 lists for $349. So Drobo listened to customers who wanted, uh, who wanted something a little bit cheaper, and they have obliged. So like I said, data protection all Drobos protect against a single drive failure. Gen 3 Drobo, you can even have it protect against two drives failing at the same time. If you're somebody who gets bitten by Murphy's Law, surrounded by a negative energy field, you know who you are. I know people like this. I'm sure you know people like this too. You may be one. You can add that extra protection if you want to. It's optimized for Time Machine. You can create a separate disk volume to use with Time Machine and use Drobo as your Time Machine drive. The Gen 3 Drobo even is protected from power failures. It has an internal battery and a small SSD cache. So if the power dies, your data won't get corrupted. I'm loving my Drobo. You should definitely check them out. And we've got a special offer for incomparable listeners. You can save $50 off your purchase of any Drobo model by using the code SNELL. That's my last name, SNELL, when you buy at drobostore.com. Now, the retail price suggested for the Gen 3 Drobo is $349, and then $50 on top of that? That is an insane deal. Great deal. Check it out at drobostore.com. The code is SNELL. Instant rebate. $50 off. So thank you so much to Drobo for sponsoring The Incomparable and for making the back of my uh, home server setup much less insane than it used to be. I, I just have to say, people blast Voyager for bad writing, and I just think of the se- third season of TOS. It's all relative. It's all relative. Come on, people. I don't think Spock's Brain is the worst episode of Star Trek, the original series. I've got a list, but we may get there. But uh, let's go to Scott. Well, I have uh, two episodes uh, that actually we I recently watched because they were both on Random Trek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have to decide between... And I'll, I'll pick the one that David Lore was on. Uh, yes! <laughs> because, in fact, it, 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 it's an awful, awful episode uh, from Voyager <laughs> uh, called Phage. In which uh, ne- Neelix's lungs, Neelix's <laughs> lungs are stolen. <laughs> oh, I'm sensing a trend here. <laughs> we don't, we don't like organ theft. We pre- we feel very strongly that organs should stay inside people. 
And this is the first time in Random Trek history, although Random Trek has not been around for that long, where I had to, at the end of the episode, apologize to the guest, because I spent most of the episode explaining how awful this episode of Star Trek was. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you think it's bad? Well, it involves Neelix, first of all. Okay, that's, that's, that's legit. I'll give you that, yeah. Uh, the organ stealing aliens make no sense. Uh, the the, I, the the long sequences where he's talking, where we don't actually see his mouth, so it's just this very static shot for you know three and four minutes at a time of Ethan Phillips lying there. That's a little holographic lungs with holographic <laughs> lungs. <laughs> it's just a bad episode, <laughs> huh? I thought the Vidians were pretty good. That's that's the thing. The Vidians, they are they they. They are featured in my favorite episode of Voyager, which is one of my favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. But this is not that episode. Okay, okay. <laughs> I do love okay. the Vidians. I think they're really creepy because they're like space zombies. They're I like them, and they're they're sympathetic. Uh, if this is just, uh, I am sad for them that they were introduced in this awful episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Tony. What uh, organ stealing episode are you going to choose? <laughs> Well, I'm not sure if it's directly organ stealing related. You may have to stretch a little bit too. Uh, but the original series episode, The Empath. Oh, this is oh, it's so high. Oh, you stole it from me, Tony. It's not a draft, but you stole it from me anyway. When I rewatch the original series, and it's like I stumble a little bit at Spock's brain, but it's like I can keep doing, I can keep doing this. <laughs> There's some interesting stuff in there. But the Empath is the wall that I hit, and it's just like, nope, we're we're done for a little while. Um, and the Empath, I. I, has her vocal cords been stolen? I think they're vestigial or, or so. But uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are captured by aliens and put in an experiment that allows them to not have any scenery for most of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they interact oh. with an empath, which allows them to hire uh, a mime instead of, a, you know, an actor who would talk. And that's like, that's the episode. Yeah, it's a mime episode. This is the one Steve Lutz um, and his daughter, when they were watching the original series, I think he, he said this on his Random Trek episode, Scott. He's sort of like, they got to the empath and it broke them. And they just think <laughs> they watched another one or two, but they really, their spirits had been lost at the empath. It is, it is uh, along with, I think, That Which Survives. This is the one-two punch that says, uh, when everybody's like, what if Star Trek had come back for a fourth season? It's like, um, it's not looking good, guys. It's not looking good. <laughs> Some, in a parallel universe, there's a fourth season of Star Trek that was produced, and at that point, it never came back, and Star Trek was never a franchise because the fourth season was even worse than the third. It was a whole season of empaths. I just, I don't think there's anything in that episode that's really redeeming right i mean it's just there's just so many like all the different parts that they then package together are kind of flawed or gimmicky or just not very original and then they they mix them together into like a really gross you know stew that they they try to make you eat (laughs) on a dark set without any scenery and very little dialogue yeah there's not the level of like where you know kirk is talking to abraham lincoln and you're like this is so awful it's awesome (laughs) That episode doesn't have that. It's just bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of. You know what? That episode probably came in under budget, right? That's like <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even use lights. I mean, come on. No, it's it's. You know, I mean, it was a real savings for, for Paramount. That or no, not Paramount, but you know. And you don't have to pay a mime if they don't speak. They, it's not a speaking part. <laughs> it's like an extra with a mime. Actually, mimes pay you. <laughs> <laughs> 
because they're nobody wants to see them. Sorry, mimes. I apologize to mimes. Don't be in Star Trek episodes, mimes. <laughs> they can't hear you. It's okay. Yeah. What? No, that's not how that works. <laughs> um, all right, David. Uh, sensitive to mimes. What? What is your mime or organ transplant related choice for worst episode? Mine is about stealing organs from a mime. Uh, that's an Enterprise episode, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, there are. Uh, shows that I have given up on watching, so I I can only assume that there are bad episodes in that run. Uh, although I will say that of Enterprise, even when I didn't like it, it was at least competent. So okay, uh, I might have picked Spock's brain, but I just love it so much because it is just so awful. Because you hate good things, David. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, um, and and you know, uh, and the empath is certainly like. Number two or number three on my list. Um, and, you know, actually, yeah. I mean, I could have gone with, uh, what is it, Code of Honor from the first season of The Next Generation. Shh, don't spoil it, David. But I'm not going with that. Good. Um, you can edit that part out if you'd like. <laughs> um, I know you want to. Um, no, my, my uh, worst episode might be Turnabout Intruder from the original series. Mainly because uh, it's kind of odd that there's this restriction about women being captains of starships. Kind of. Kind of. Just a little bit. But even that, you know, okay, okay, I'll go along with that. It was the 2360s. What? (laughs) (laughs) But but, but I will go along with that for the sake of the story. It's it's mainly that when when Kirk uh, is inhabited by a woman... Uh, he turns into, I don't know, a walking hissy fit. It's like, what the hell? Uh, it is just, and I like Shatner, but I'm sorry. No, no. It's just every moment of that just, oh, it just hurts to watch. There's a There's a special kind of entertaining sexism that you get when you watch stuff of that era, but that episode just transcends it. <laughs> In, in such an <laughs> awesome way that you're just you're you're oh you can't even comprehend it. You can't believe it was made even then. Right. <laughs> well, the the last line too is like she could have had a life as fulfilling as any woman's. <laughs> <laughs> what? And that's the last line in Star Trek uh, ever. That was it. Oh my god. And and you know a few weeks later, man landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. Man, emphasis. Man landed on the moon, David that's such a bad that that that, because that episode isn't so bad it's funny that's like painful on multiple level bad even let that be your last battlefield is got its moments but i mean the running is awesome frank gorshin running but yeah all right uh david hinted at it but he didn't pick it so i'm (laughs) gonna pick it um code of honor on the next generation (laughs) This is the episode where they said, let's, let's, uh, we'll have an episode that's based sort of a society that's based on, uh, sort of feudal China. Um, and we'll put everybody in like little silk outfits, um, but we'll have them all be black and they'll be really behind the times and, um, and sort of savages. It's like, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> and, and again, this, like a, like a turnabout intruder, this is an episode that is painful bad. It's bad. It's bad uh, dramatically. It's especially bad socially, where they're trying to be all like 
elevated and liberal and we love everybody and yet um in doing so they they are repeating some of the worst cliches and and stereotypes and it's just it is and I I like it less even than Justice, which would have been my other choice, which is where Wesley is sentenced to death for keep, for walking on the grass. <laughs> well, he was he was asking for that it. was really bad. That, that's bad, but it's got the one good thing about it is it's got that sort of mysterious protecting alien that they, is beyond their way, ability to comprehend. And I thought that was kind of cool. Whereas Code of Honor, it's just hey, here's a planet that's got this weird society. Um, there's a runaround plot. Um, it's it's so bad. It's unbelievably offensive. I have I have a story about this episode actually. So, you know, I was I was like a child when this first came out. So I'd never seen like TNG the first uh season. And my husband bet me a hundred dollars I could not watch the entire first season of TNG <laughs> and not watch anything else in between it. Like that was all I could watch. Because he's sitting there thinking there's Code of Honor and Justice. Oh my God. And I got through I got through Encounter at Far Point and I'm like, oh this is really bad. Yeah. yeah. And Don't this you know was nothing. This was this episode was like the Roger Moore movie era of Star Trek that was just so bad and you're just trying to get through it because you know like there's better stuff on the other side of it but I'm just I'm watching this in between my fingers over my face it was so bad and the the the, the script is bad the acting is bad the, the line I remember here is uh, one of the people on this planet says yes yes please prepare it and it is the most painful <laughs> hackneyed badly acted Please prepare it. Terrible. It is. It is. It is offensive and awful. And uh, that first season, that's rough. You, but really, think about it. The third season of the original series, the first season of the Next Generation. That is. There's not a lot of good there. There's some. There's some nice continuity and quality. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I could probably go with like almost the entire first season, most of the second season of Next mm. Generation, large parts of the third season. <laughs> All right. Um, so should we do should we do some more episodes or should we move on to another category? Want to do another round of episodes or do you want to move on? I, I like talking about bad episodes. This is good podcast right here. We're, we're, we'll go one more round of good and bad episodes then. Uh, Brianna, you got a good one for us? A good one. Okay. Wow. See, I could sit here and passionately talk about like all my all the best episodes of Voyager, but I think like we were talking about you know, really heavy issues. So I'm just going to talk about one that I found like. Awesome. And that was Best of Both Worlds. It was in the theater uh, here recently in Boston. And, you know, like most of TNG, I'd just never seen it. I was too young when it came out. And it was so unbelievably good. I mean, it was, it could have been a movie. It was so good. And seeing it in the theater with a bunch of, uh, you know, Star Trek fans, there was just awesome energy there. Like, you have a really compelling female lead in that episode. What was her name? Do you guys remember? Um... Shelby. 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 Elizabeth Dennehy, yeah. Right. She is awesome. You've got, you know, Picard being turned into, you know, Borg and like the the uh chain of command being upset on the Enterprise. And it's just a fantastic episode. Like I I, I can't say anything negative about it. Maybe the second half of it was not as awesome awesome as the first, but just really like the very best of Star Trek, I felt. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. It's a classic. I've been curious to see the one where they, what they showed in the theaters is where they edited it together and had it be kind of like a continual, like movie movie thing where they they take the two episodes and stitch them together. I, what I, the 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 anecdote I know about that is that the um, 
the guy who wrote, uh, I think Michael Piller who wrote that episode, um, he was not intending to come back the next year. And so he literally had not figured out what would happen after that classic. I think that cliffhanger is really what brought Next Generation into the public consciousness. Everybody was talking about the cliff. I think it, I think it brought back the cliffhanger, honestly, for uh, uh, because that's it, it, everybody was talking that summer about Mr. War Fire. It's like, oh, God, they're going to blow up Captain Picard. What's going to happen? And, uh, and uh, apparently... Uh, he ended up uh, – the writer ended up coming back to the show and and having no idea how to resolve it and had to figure it out because he had just not planned it. He, he thought it was going to be somebody else's problem and he was just going to move on. And it, it does have that feeling like you're like, I don't even know what where this is going to go. I don't feel like he seeded any you know any plot twist that I can figure out over the summer. It's just like, nope, no idea. And it's a great, great cliffhanger. And and I mean the first half – I always preferred the first half to the second half and, and because exactly that it shows – um, and but that is a great cliffhanger. It's the best. I I really like the the character of Shelby because I think you know TNG generally speaking kind of fails and succeeds at portraying women. I think um, and I just I really found the idea of a, a a character that was really really driven and was really aiming towards being a starship captain, but was maybe a little bit. Not so super diplomatic about the way she went about it. I just I found that a more compelling character than say Beverly Crusher, and I don't know. I just I thought it was fantastic overall. I always meant thought that they meant to to make that because she ends up spending a lot of time with Riker, and that it's really like, hey Riker, this is what you were like. You've gotten a lot better, but this is you a couple years ago when you're like a little too out of control and you haven't learned. And now he's in the in the seat of having to sort of be the Picard figure to her, which was it's a real shame that they didn't bring that character back because that was a really great character. She was in some of the uh, novels. She's she's in Peter David's New Frontier novels. Sure. But they but it's too bad they didn't bring they didn't bring her back on the show because that was a that was a great character. Best of both worlds. A classic. Perfect pick. Beautiful. Scott, what do you got? Uh, well, it's it's a toss-up between two episodes for me. I'm going to pick the one that uh, is actually good. Good, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> good strategy, Scott. Uh, see, I'm always thinking. Uh, the other one introduces a character that I like. But uh, Trials and Tribulations, uh, Deep Space Nine episode, uh, in which the crew of Deep Space Nine go back in time to the Trouble with Triples episode of the original series, uh, which is delightful. It also gives us a glimpse into the bureaucracy of Starfleet, where we find out about the Temporal Investigations Unit, who they start off the episode in Cisco's office, grilling him about why, in fact, he went back in time. And you know those guys, those names are Dulmer and Luxley, which are just anagrams for Mulder and Scully? <laughs> That's right. And uh, they have a good line about uh, how they hate Captain Kirk because he's always messing with the <laughs> timelines. <laughs> he's the worst. He is the worst. Uh, and so there, there's lots of great things. This is an episode in which, uh, you know, they travel back in time. And so the Deep Space Nine crew is looking at the Klingons in uh, The Trouble with Triples who do not have ridges on their heads. And they turn to, to uh, Worf. Who's wearing a furry hat. Who's wearing a furry hat? He's uh, taken Spock's uh, disguise. Yes. Uh, and they're like, uh, what's the deal? Uh, and Worf responds, uh, we do not speak of it. <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with a look that suggests no follow-up questions are going to be accepted here. Which I think is the perfect way to deal with that. You don't want to deal with it through a, a multi-episode arc in Enterprise? You don't like that way of dealing with it? 
Uh, it's just a lot of fun to see how they play with, you know, Dax makes some comments about the, the skirt links. Uh, and and uh, fawns over Spock, too. She's like, oh, he's so handsome. And, and Cisco says, oh, yeah, everybody loved Kirk. And she's like, I'm talking about Spock. <laughs> love it. And it explains the, the moment where, uh, you know, Captain Kirk is under the, oh, the grain uh, chute and these tribbles just keep falling out. And that's because uh, Cisco and Dax are throwing them looking for a bomb in one of the tribbles. Will someone please close that door? It's just a delightful episode uh, in every respect. That scene, by the way, gets huge laughs in, in Trek in the Park for the same reason that um, throughout the entire uh, the entire scene, there was somebody behind the stage just <laughs> continually chucking tribbles over. It just it works. It's a classic. Just keep repeating that joke, Star Trek. Just keep doing it. I always found that episode really notable because, you know, I do 3D for a living, and I, I really always found that a really cool historical point of kind of taking old footage and new footage and kind of, you know, compositing it on top of each other in a way that told a really cool story. And I can say, like, watching that episode is one of the things that got me really interested about going into this field, because... It, it really does open up all kinds of narrative possibilities. It just had not existed before that. And it still looks good. Yeah, yeah. It's very believable. They did a good job. I, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to if they do the Deep Space Nine HD conversion, that should be interesting because they're going to have to do, they're going to have to recomposite all that stuff. But it, it all looks great. Um, great one. Good job, Scott. You picked an actually good one. <laughs> See? Instead of the episode <laughs> that introduces Barkley, right? Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> I like Barkley. Hollow Pursuits. I like Barkley, too. I like oh. Barkley. We all like Barkley. Time for a break to tell you about one of our fine, incomparable sponsors. It is our lords and masters at Squarespace. You know Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your professional website, portfolio, and online store for a free trial. And 10% off, you go to squarespace.com and use this amazing offer code, Snell sent me. That's me. I'm Jason Snell. Snell sent me is your offer code. Now, I've been building websites for a whole long time. We, I, I once built websites using the text editor that was built into the Eudora email client. What was wrong with me? But there wasn't really a whole lot else to use. I could use like simple text or something back then. It was bad. You know, the designs were hard. Uh, the technology wasn't there. Things have come a long way. Squarespace is giving you what we used to think of as like 10 different products all in one. Squarespace hosts your website. They serve it for you. You don't have to set up a server. They can register your domain name. And in fact, if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. It comes with a whole bunch of different beautifully designed templates. So you don't need to be a designer. You don't need to be a coder. You don't need to run a web server. You don't need to set up a domain name. It's all there for you with Squarespace. You just drag and drop things around in your web browser. And even though it's really easy, if you need help, they have 24-7 support through live chat and email located in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. So they're around the globe 24-7 to talk to you and plans start at $8 a month for all that. Such a deal. These are all responsive design sites, so they look good on mobile and they look good on the desktop. You don't have to have separate designs or little tiny text on a phone because the website doesn't know that you're looking at it on a phone. There's e-commerce built in to every Squarespace site if you want it. 
So if you want to sell things on the internet, there's an online store you can enable uh, super easy, as is everything else on Squarespace. So start your free trial. You don't need to put in a credit card. You can start building your website today. They're not going to make you commit to paying them money, and then you'll have to cancel or anything. Don't even put in your credit card. Start a free trial. And when you decide to sign up, tell them we sent you. Use that offer code that I mentioned earlier, Snell sent me, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and It'll tell them that you came from The Incomparable, which we like a lot. So thank you so much to Squarespace, our lords, our masters, the kings of podcasting, for their support of The Incomparable. Squarespace, a better web, starts with your website. Tony! Well, just like Scott, I'm going to pick another fun light episode, and I'm going to go with uh, Deep Space Nine's In the Pale Moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I like a lot of Star Trek. This is Dan Morin's pick, too, by the way. He couldn't be here. But... He has excellent taste. Um, you know, I, I, I think the dark episodes are some of my favorites, um, not because I like it when Star Trek is dark, necessarily, as I like seeing what they do with these characters when they really kind of, like, push them and, and force them into difficult situations. I like the, like, fun episodes, too. I like it when, you know, Jordy and, and Data are trying to catch a mouse or whatever it is they're trying to do. Uh, but in <laughs> Deep Space Nine's uh, In the Pale Moonlight, uh, the last several seasons of Deep Space Nine are this long, huge arc about the war uh, with the Dominion, and the premise of In the Pale Moonlight is... Uh, uh, Sitko is trying to get the Romulans onto the side of the Federation so that they can hopefully win the war of, against the, uh, the Dominion. And he engages in some kind of unethical stuff and he more or less gets caught with it. And the Romulans are going to go back with uh, the evidence and uh, presumably not join uh, the Federation. And instead, the Romulan ambassador is uh, killed uh, with an explosion that it turns out that Garrick has set and the whole episode is done in the form of kind of Cisco narrating his log that he's going to send to Starfleet that he then at the end of the episodes deletes and never sends to Starfleet because he decides mm. it's more important that they get the Romulan Empire on the side of the Federation so they can win this war than that he do what he probably really should do as a Starfleet officer or as a good person um, because you know he's been kind of at this point kind of uh I don't know, broken down by the the war and, and feeling that like you know the ends justify the means at that point. Um, so it it is probably one of the darkest Star Trek episodes, um, but it, I think it's great um, and it, it's um, yeah. It also it, it has a lot of Garrick in it, who's one of my my favorite characters too. So yeah, that's a good one. Well done, David. What do you have? If if I were going to pick a Voyager episode, yes, this won't surprise anyone. It would be Bride of Chaotica. Oh yeah, because it has. It has that whole 40s pulp thing going on, which then turns serious when transdimensional aliens get mixed in with Tom Paris's weird fantasy holodeck program. But I can't pick a holodeck program mm. um, or a holodeck episode. Uh, so I'm going to go with um, the two-part In a Mirror Darkly Oh from, yes, yes. From Enterprise, which is maybe the best Enterprise I've seen. Mm. Oh, by Partly far. Partly because it just starts off. I mean, it it can't it can't cross with our universe because we don't know it yet. So it just plunges you right into this uh, from the opening credits. I mean, it even has the evil version of the opening credits, which is so much better than the actual song yeah. they used. Um, <laughs> It's actually, technically, it's the good version of the opening credits. The evil one opens every other episode of Enterprise. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of, if if we had gotten to see Scott Bakula running around, having a little fun, and wearing the gold outfit, again, that show would still be on the air. Uh, why you cast him 
and and like make him a dour, serious captain. I mean, what is what yeah. were they thinking? But this at least he gets, you know, he's still he's evil, he's still serious, but he's having fun. And it it just it it combines the Tholian web and the mirror universe and all of these things. And and that was the first time when I said, I want to see season five. I want to see season six. I want to <laughs> see what Manny Cotto is gonna do with this. Because he he got it right. Because that last season they embraced the original series and made all the links and made all the references to the original series, which they could because Enterprise is relatively close in time. And and making a Mirror Universe episode that's actually a sequel to the Tholian Web is just it's crazy. And and the, the the utter genius of taking that moment from First Contact, with and yeah. and and actually getting James Cromwell <laughs> to to just sort of do this sort of uncredited little moment. Where he pulls a gun out and shoots. It's like, <laughs> oh my god! And that's how you start the show. And I mean, it was just beautiful. Yeah, I, I I cannot say enough good things about that episode. That the <laughs> song, the song is so good. That do you know how are are you guys runners? Like, do you know how on your if you use Nike Plus, you can hold the center button on your iPod and it will like um, it'll do a power song. Like, do you know right, the right. power song feature? Like that was my power song forever <laughs> when that came out because it's like, Oh, I don't want to start, run, stop running. And like, it just, it propels you forward. It's so like the aesthetics of that, like the, the ISS universe and the, the kind of cold evil version of the Federation. It's just awesome. I love that episode. And and they're not all working together, which is beautiful. Yeah, and there's a there's a Gorn in that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you get to see Hoshi be like an interesting character for once. Yeah, so, you know? <laughs> to, to actually be a character for yeah, once. Yeah, right. That's Emperor Hoshi to you. Yes. <laughs> well, that's a great one. Um, well, so I could pick uh, that Voyager episode I really liked here, which is Deadlock, which has the Vidians in it. Which is, um, and this by saying I could pick it, this is a tri- trickery that's going to happen here. I, I could I could pick that deadlock because I love that. That's the episode where the Voyager um, gets split in two, and you don't really know it, so you see the Voyager get the crap beaten out of it, and everything blow up, and 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 Harry Kim gets like sucked sucked through a <laughs> hole in the ship and dies, and you're like uh, technically Whoa. blown through. Yeah, that, oh. that's true. Thank you. And, and, and you're like, yay, Harry Kim is dead again. Maybe this time for sure. <laughs> what, what's great? What's great is it, it it plays with your expectations of the reset button of an episode. So when it's revealed that there's another Voyager that's perfectly fine and has not had the crap kicked out of it and Harry Kim is alive there and all of that you think you think oh see this is this is a cheat and the the beauty of it is what ends up happening is that that shiny Voyager actually gets attacked by the Vidians and they all get like their organs taken out and they send I think it's the the ensign's baby because the baby died in the other Voyager and 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 Harry Kim threw back to the broken Voyager and they blow up the healthy Voyager, and the broken Voyager is the one that we keep. And uh, it's a great uh, twist. It's one of the one of the, my favorite uh, twists. But I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to pick Trouble with Tribbles, which I already talked about. So <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about bad episodes one more time. Brianna, you got something for us? All right, very bad episodes. So okay, I've got to critique a Voyager episode this time. Threshold Ooh. is. Uh, well, first of all, like it really says something that the worst episode of Voyager I'm picking here doesn't involve Chakotay because he's your <laughs> your guide to bad Voyager. Like yeah. if Chakotay is the main character, it's definitely top ten worst episodes of Voyager ever. But um, no, I'm going to say uh, it's got to be Threshold. 
So have, have, have you guys ever read the book, The Physics of Star Trek, that kind of explains mm-hmm. some of the stuff about the universe? Have you guys sure. ever read that? Yeah. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. so, like, for War Factor 10, you're theoretically existing at every point of the entire universe simultaneously. And so in this episode, they go past Warp Factor 10, uh, which is, you know, fine. It's a continuity error, but it's completely stupid what happens. Um, So they end up like uh, Tom Paris ends up evolving and evolving and evolving. So he and Captain Janeway, like, evolve into lizards and have (laughs) sex and then have offspring. And then somehow the doctor brings them back. But it's just, it's an abomination in every sense of the word. It's like, it's not respectful to the canon. It's just painful to watch. It's, it hurts. Like, it physically hurts. So, oh my god, it's, it's, it's bad. I would say tying for it would be the fight, which is this uh, Chakotay episode where he's, he's a boxer for the whole episode and they like ran out of money or something. So the entire episode is him in a boxing rink. And he's like, you know, trying to fight uh, this, this alien because of mind control or whatever. That's a, that actually is from the creative team that brought you Darmok, by the way, the fight. <laughs> Just a Joe Ma- that's, that's a Joe Minoski. Wow. Chakotay and dreams are a bad combination. Uh, lucid dreaming, you mean. <laughs> you would think he would talk to the writers at some point, like pull them aside and be like, come on, guys. I think he was actually pretty candid with about how, and I think he kind of even got into some trouble with, you know, how openly disdainful he was of the dialogue he had to read for his character. Um, you know, but it's a job, right? I mean, and he has this job, seven years of uh, episode pay. It's pretty good. All right, Scott. Scott, uh, bring us down. What do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do what I could do. Um, so, season one of The Next Generation has many awful episodes in it. So many. Uh, one mm. awful episode that is also perhaps... Oh, look, the police are here to get me because it's so bad. Uh, <laughs> perhaps the, one of the oddest episodes of The Next Generation. And one that has the most far-reaching consequences, but they never pick it up is Conspiracy. Conspiracy! Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that. <laughs> which is an awful episode in which little aliens uh, infect the high levels of Starfleet and are moving people around and doing all kinds of uh, bad things. And, the you know, Jean-Luc figures it out. And uh, the end uh, is perhaps one of the most horrifying scenes I've ever seen in Star Trek, where they blow up the queen uh, symbiote, and it is extremely graphic. Uh, and it makes you think, am I watching a Star Trek episode? Well, uh, and it's stop-motion animation, which they never really did again, so it looks sort of like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark on a really bad budget. That, and you see the whole, like, rib cage. It's very... I, as a kid, I was like... I. That's also the same episode where they eat... The, the conspiracy people eat meal, mealworms, right? Yes. And Riker has to, like... Pr- and it was like, those are probably the two most disturbing things in Next Gen for me as a kid. And they were in the same episode. And then it never goes anywhere. And I got to say, I I felt really bad because the the actor who plays Remick in that, who then turns out to be the symbiont and all that, is also a playwright who just won the Tony and all for um, All the Way, the story about LBJ. And he's a really good playwright. And when I met him, I said, I'm a Star Trek fan. And he looked at me and said, I am so sorry. The lesson is, kids, if you if you eat mealworms, you can go somewhere in life. Yep. That's yeah. right. You'll win a Tony. <laughs> yeah. so you took the right lesson from that, Tony. Well done. 
Wow. Yeah. That was that was, and what and what's funny about that episode is they were really setting it up as this was going to be a story arc thing that we were going to take through, and instead they're like, yeah, no, we're never going to speak of this again. <laughs> I I thought I thought it could have been a cool arc. I really do, but yeah, it's ugh. yeah. I mean, they should have done something with it. Yeah, I kept waiting for them to come back. I remember those scenes, and that just that freaked me out so hard. <laughs> I remember that. I'm like, oh my god, what is going on? <laughs> All right, uh, Tony, what do you have? Uh, I have, um, I believe the title of it is uh, "Move Along Home," which is oh yeah, oh, move yeah. along home, move along home. And I mainly, I'm mainly drawing from uh, the original series, Next Gen and DS9, because those are the ones I've rewatched the most. Um, but and you know, there are some bad episodes in a lot of them, and a lot of them, like some of the ones you guys have mentioned, like I just don't even remember. Um, so they're they're probably worse than the ones I'm remembering as bad. But "Move Along Home" is a basically just a complete throwaway episode in the first season of Deep Space Nine, where a bunch of aliens show up, and like that's like that's like half of the you know half the plot of, of most DS9 episodes, mm-hmm. especially in the first couple seasons. Like people show up coming through the wormhole because they're doing trade, even though they're <laughs> coming with objects that we don't understand and that somehow we're willing yeah, yeah. to pay money for, which they don't totally understand either. So like a bunch of aliens show up. We're never going to see them again in the entire series. Never. And they and they show up and they're hanging out in the bar and like they're basically bored with the dumb games that Quark has. And so they want to play this crazy game where you're teleported into this weird place and have to solve little puzzles. And it seems like, you know, you're in, in lethal danger if you don't solve the puzzles. But in reality, you're not. And they solve the puzzles through teamwork and everyone's okay. And like there's just – there's nothing there, right? I mean I don't think nothing – advances in terms of the overall plot i don't think we really learn much about the character the other the the main characters on deep space nine i don't know if there's a lesson is the lesson you can you can trust scary aliens because they're not actually going to put you in mortal danger even if it looks like it is i don't know what the lesson is i like this episode only because i have a a weird fascination with the games on star trek Mm. because they're always so odd and this is the quintessential odd game on star trek (laughs) i prefer the one that they played the google glass one they play which you know yeah the The game yeah the game that's so i would consider the game the quintessential game but um where where it's you know with with amazing future graphics where it's like you know like a cone (laughs) It's, it's the next generation version of threes no, it's the next. It's uh, it's it's ball and cup, but you but on your. I love that episode, but the graphics are really terrible. Well, it's the best they could do back then. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, there there are probably other ones, but that one, stand that one, and you know I love Deep Space Nine so much, and that episode just you know there's other ones in there that are filler, but that's there's there's no point to that episode. David, well, I mean, again, there's so many mm-hmm. to choose from. We say this with love, as as Scott always says on Random Trek. We come from a position of love, and then we have to mention the terrible things. And I'm I'm just I'm gonna plunge in. It's it's the outrageous Okana from ah. what is it season two of Next Generation, which the whole time if you're watching Okana and thinking, man, this guy's like Harry Mud. Well, it was supposed to be Harry Mud, but as if that wasn't bad enough. It also has Data learning how to be a stand-up comedian from Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. It's Billy Campbell. Billy Campbell is uh, Okana. And he's fine. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the Joe Piscopo part that really kills me. I mean, because the whole time you're watching the almost, like, halfway decent story, and then they go back to the, the 
stand-up comedy. Well, it's not it's not really a halfway decent story because it's like a sitcom plot. It's like, uh, hey, he got this girl pregnant, and the the parents on the one part planet are angry, but then then and then there's this other parents on this other planet that are angry, and it turns out, oh, it turns out that it's a boy from one planet and a girl from another planet, and they're the ones. He's the one who got her pregnant, <laughs> not the captain who's shuttling them back and forth. Oh, what a misunderstanding. Uh I'm just going on the low bar of the stand-up comedy part. Well, that's true. And Guinan teaches <laughs> Data the importance of something or other at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. don't. She teaches him, don't worry about the jokes. It's the monologue and embodying the characters for your one-woman oh, show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love I love his the the wardrobe of the scamp because he's got like a puffy pirate shirt yeah. and like a leather jacket <laughs> uh-huh. and he's got like you know like he's got the, all the things yeah it's just like it's like it's like we gotta like we gotta wedge every last element of roguishness into your you know, you know. <laughs> he has a puffy vest with the balloon uh, balloon uh, sleeves on top got some stubble yep stubble you know kind of floppy hair yeah he's you know yeah it's it's. I would not lease that guy a shuttlecraft, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I'd require two references, at least, and a deposit. And, and it has Pulaski being grumpy, so... Ooh. Doing her best McCoy. Data. Yeah, Data. Mm. One is my name. The other is not. <laughs> um, okay, my turn. I'm going to pick... Uh, an, it, it, this is an episode that's bad because it of the complete disrespect it has for its own show. And also... It's a, what a way to go out. It is the final episode of the final Star Trek TV series to this date called These Are the Voyages. It's the last episode of Enterprise. This this is an episode they bring back Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, who are the who are the showrunners all the way back to Next Generation. They were working on the show. They show a complete dislike of anything about Enterprise. Now, I don't love Enterprise, but what an extended middle finger to the audience of this TV show. This final episode is a Next Generation episode. It stars Riker and Troy, and they um, they play hologram with the crew of the Enterprise. And have a good time messing around with the crew of the Enterprise. And in the end, um, they like end the program and that's the end. And it is just a gigantic ripoff because although you get hints about what's happening to all these characters at the end, the whole point of the episode is basically like, uh, hey, let's check in on Riker. We haven't seen him in a while. And it's just it's it's not only is it not a good episode, but it has complete contempt for the viewers of the show uh, for the characters on the show, for the actors who play those characters, and also it is the last produced, the 728th episode of all Star Trek produced on television, and that's what we're left with, is this uh, last gasp of uh, people basically saying, I suppose, hey, remember when we made a good Star Trek show back at The Next Generation? Wow. I also, I think that, you know, we always talk about, you know, uh, you know, Trisha Yar uh, having a very bad, pointless death. And I think, you know, Trip Tucker dying in this, where he's just like, hey, what's up? Let me just leap in front of these aliens and die <laughs> from the middle of nowhere for no reason. And I don't think any character on Enterprise is particularly good besides, you know, uh, yeah, I think the Vulcan is reasonably good on there, but... You know, to Paul, but he was—he deserved a better death. I mean, even the bad characters in Star Trek deserve some moment for them. So, yeah, very disappointing. I, I just, uh, you know, 
Yeah, that that put it over the edge of. I mean, I could pick a, a crappy third season original series episode. That would be easy. The way to Eden is good with the hippies and all that. But come on, this is just this is the capper. This is the this production team that that squired this show through a lot of good years and then uh, and then some bad years and then at the end, this is just the capper where it's. I feel like they they hated their own show. Yeah, and I mean, there there's a good idea there. I mean, I could see how you could do that as an episode. Wouldn't it be neat to do this? And oh as the final episode and 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 even at that i mean it's an interesting idea that they just there's nothing in it that's actually good so we've done an hour um we could we, <laughs> we you got all, you sent us a lot more questions we got a lot more things to draft we could we could we could end it we could end this here we're not going to get much further but we can do a round of of uh, best and worst character if you guys would like yes okay let me beam in with one of our sponsors it's lynda.com uh, lynda.com is the place to go to learn and keep up to date with software, pick up brand new skills and explore new hobbies. This is amazingly high quality video training on the internet, more than 2,400 courses at all skill levels done by the experts. These are not people who are just making it up as they go along and reading a script. These are the people who know how to do this stuff. They're the best of the world at it. And there's one low monthly price for access to all of those courses. $25 a month and you have unlimited courses. Your brain will explode in your head in a good way because you will learn so much from lynda.com. Think of just about any piece of software you might rely on. Everything in the Adobe Creative Cloud, Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro, which I use to edit this show. And uh, I've learned a lot from Linda Courses, and I'm much better at it now. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, SteamOS stuff that's out there, the uh, Linux-based operating system for Steam. They have new SteamOS stuff. There's an iPad for business course. There's a whole bunch of stuff about Google Docs and Sheets, Keynote 6, you know, the list goes on, whether it's learning how to do photography or, I mean, anything you can think of, you can find a lynda.com course. It's pretty amazing. You can watch on your computer, of course, but you can also watch on your tablet or smartphone. That's all fine. The courses are broken up into little pieces. So if you've got 15 minutes, you can watch a chunk of it and then come back later. If you've got 15 hours, like I said, your brain is going to fill with the knowledge of this stuff from lynda.com. If you join the premium plan, you can download all the project files and all of that. The courses are built so you can learn from start to finish, but they are also built so you can access them randomly. I did that where I wanted to learn a very specific thing in a, I believe it was a logic course, and I jumped right to that section and got exactly what I needed to know in about 10 minutes. And uh, then I jumped back out and I didn't have to watch the whole hour because I just wanted to the answer to a certain thing. And it was there because I had access to the entire lynda.com library. So here's the deal. Go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash incomparable, and you get to access more than 2,400 courses free for seven days. Lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash incomparable, free for seven days. And thank you so much to lynda.com for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, we're going to move on then. That was good. We've got some, we got out the good, we got out the bad. We're going to move on. We're going to do one more set of best and worst, and it's going to be characters. 
Um, I'd left this open. I was sort of thinking it would be characters who were in the credits, but uh, quite honestly, if you want to pick a recurring character, I think that would be okay. And if really, if you want to pick anything, that's fine. What am I going to do? I'm not going to suspend you, put you on the disabled <laughs> list or something like that. You can do whatever. But I was thinking it would be people, you know, presumably you're not going to say Frank Gorshin in that episode of the original series is that he's the best. He's great. Damn it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Brianna, you want to, you want to, I like Sherlock Holmes as played by data. <laughs> yeah, sure. I love, I love that. I love Watson as played by Jordy Watson with a visor. <laughs> I had Joe Piscopo. Oh no. <laughs> Humor bot 2000. Uh, Brianna, you got a best character. Absolutely. All right. I love Seven of Nine. I love her so much. As a female engineer, I love her. I love her character. I think every episode she's on on Voyager is fantastic. I I, I would rank her... I, I realize that, like, Kirk, like, Kirk slash Spock is like a, a holy trinity, you know, for... For Star Trek fans, but I think I think she's just a fantastic character, and I think it's so unfortunate that when she came on the show, or even discussions of her character all this all these years later, it tends to be about you know her body or her booms, and I think she's she's just a fantastic actress, and I think um, she's just she has such a great dilemma as she's exploring her humanity. I think her episodes where she explores her humanity are much better than Data's or Spock's for that, you know, for that instance. So I just, I think that she is a character that has never really been given respect by the Star Trek audience. And um, I think she's a role model to like women in tech to a certain extent. So I just, I love her character. Do you think seven of nine? Here's here's why I'm torn on seven of nine. Is that I I agree I agree with everything you said about seven of nine, and yet at the same time, it's hard for me not to think that the producers made the change and got rid of cast and added seven of nine, and the way that they costumed her was because they wanted to sex up Voyager, which doesn't take anything away from the character, but it it certainly put me in the mind of like oh boy, here's a here's you know here they are pandering. Um, the, the, the fact is her character is actually kind of fascinating because it's like that, um, I Borg episode of the next generation, right? Was what does it mean to be a Borg and what does it mean to unplug a Borg? And with seven of nine, you literally, you, you get that entire, uh, thing handled in, in detail because you watch her change over time. I just, the way it was, she was introduced, it was like, really, this is what you're doing. And, and the way that they, you know, that they outfitted her and all of that was, it, it felt kind of, kind of creepy and pandery to me when they did it. I guess when you're a woman in the like geeky realms, you're so used to insulting things, you know, in this, in this, in this, it's, I guess I'm just numb to that at this point. Like, you know, Scott and I were doing a random Trek episode and there was some costume of her with like big giant stripes under her boobs. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) okay, that's a weird costume choice, but I don't think it takes away from the truth of her character and her arc and her acting as an actress. So... I don't know. I think she's just great. Yeah. Well, and it's it's kind of like the the idea of of Martin Luther King convincing Nichelle Nichols to stay on the show because at least you're there. And it's like, all right, here's yes, she's got amazing proportions, but she's also all of these things too. She has right. a brain. She has, yeah. you know, depth, and yeah, you know, it's like. So yeah, I can I get I get that. Uh Scott, best character. 
Well, I, I'm going to pick Reginald Barkley only because <laughs> I like him so much. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, Reg Barkley. He's uh, kind of the Woody Allen of Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> Without the humor and the uh, uncomfortable baggage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's just, uh, he is, I've talked about Reg Barkley before in many episodes. He is not, I mean, he is very smart, but he is not like uh, the normal Starfleet officer that you see. Everybody's got everything together. They're all very focused. Reginald Barkley is uh, self-conscious. He has many doubts about his own talents. He stammers. He uh, is not comfortable in his body. He is just, you know, a, a sore thumb. Uh, and he, he, I have often said, if I somehow found myself uh, in a Starfleet uniform somehow, I feel like I would be Reg Barkley because I just wouldn't know what's going on. Uh, and of course, in his first entrance, uh, Captain Picard calls him Broccoli by accident. Uh, and it's just a poor Reg. Uh, but he al- he always, whatever episodes he, he is in, he usually saves the day. So hooray for that. But uh, I've always thought of him as like this this particularly obvious stand-in for the Star Trek audience, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think he's a character that people <laughs> can relate to a little bit more. And, I mean, he's a he's a great character. He's on episodes of Voyager. He's super likable. The TNG episodes he's in, he's great. So, yeah, I think he's good. Yeah, he's, uh, that's a great, it's a great character. I like, I like multiple episodes with him in it too. And he, yeah, when he resurfaces on Voyager, it's fun to see him again. Like of all the characters to bring, to bring back. It's like, you know, he was never a regular, but they still floated him back out on, on Voyager. I really like the one where he becomes super intelligent. Barkley also is like, he just moves from neurosis to neurosis. So he's got his hollow addiction. He's got his fear of transporters. And I don't even know what happens. Does he have a hologram thing again in Voyager? I don't know what what he goes to next. Yeah. You really feel like like Troy probably should have screened him out of like, like he, he shouldn't. Like he should be yeah. just polishing shuttlecrafts or something. <laughs> oh well, I mean, I guess in in Voyager he becomes obsessed with saving Voyager. That's really his crazy thing in Voyager, and he does. Yeah, Tony, who you got? Um, I'm gonna choose Elam Garrick from Deep Space Nine, uh, who is the Cardassian spy slash Taylor. Um, just a simple Taylor. Just a simple Taylor. Um, I love like all the scenes he's in. I love his dialogue and I love his banter with uh. Bashir and uh, his his interchanges with Cisco, um, and he's just great. And he is, you know, the whole premise is that he's this kind of exiled spy. And you know, is he is he just a tailor? Probably not. He's not a tailor, um, but that's you know that's his front business. And you know, he goes from being this kind of uh, background character in the early seasons to incredibly important in the uh, the major plot points in the in the later seasons. Um, and I just I think he's great. And there's we we learn a lot about him and his, his family. And he's kind of our uh, one of our windows into how you know what is Cardassian life like, and uh, I think he's great, or at least very interesting. Maybe not like a great person. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with him, but <laughs> he's an interesting person. I like seeing his stories, so he might kill me. He has a quality like every scene he's in, you cannot take your eyes off him because he's that captivating an actor. It's something about his eyes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. That's a great character. Under all of that Cardassian makeup. Still manages a great performance. Just a simple tailor. He's just, you know, he can be running secrets to the Cardassian government, and then also he will um, stretch that collar for you. 
amazing. And I, I always <laughs> thought that the, you know, the Obsidian Order and the Salshiar, and then we, you know, we find out about the Federation's equivalent. I mean, it, to me, it, it was interesting that there's like, you know, we have this, you know, utopian thing where everyone's great and everyone's scientists and explorers, but we also like everyone has like their own secret police and you know, and NSA equivalents and whatnot. So, I like that. So, yeah. All right. Good one, David. Well, you know, I'm, I'm. I love all the the various characters, but I'm going to pick a captain. Hmm. And I know. Archer. Auten. Yes. <laughs> no. Um. Captain Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise C. <laughs> yeah. Kelsey, yes, no, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Captain Picard. Partly because, I mean, growing up, Jim Kirk was my hero. You know, I mean, along with Jim Rockford and thomas magnum and all but but uh and and i love ben cisco and i love the other captains but they all they're they're sort of partial characters right they all have their thing right kirk is just a cowboy hero and cisco has lost his wife and he's the emissary and they just have a thing whereas picard is kind of i mean obviously he came before the later captains but he's he's a synthesis of all of these different elements because he is heroic like kirk and he is like Cisco and he is like Archer and he is like Janeway, but there's a tragedy to him. There, there's a, or not tragedy, but a tragic quality to him, especially uh, when you get to generations and you find out that his brother and his nephew have perished and he is the end of the Picard line. And the thought that he's, he's going off, right? He's exploring the universe. He's doing this, this thing. And he's, he's, probably never going to get married and he's probably never going to have kids that he knows about not counting Romulan clones um god I hated that movie anyway um (laughs) uh, but you know there's there's just this this gravitas to him and and especially in like an episode like the inner light which I could have picked as a as a favorite episode um just Patrick Stewart even without saying it even without it being the text of the episode, it comes through. And the fact that he's living this life with all of these things that he's never going to have is just heartbreaking at the end. And it's wonderful when he, when he picks up the flute and he's remembering that life, but it's still just a memory. It's still just part of this experience that he's had. And so there's, he's, he's a fully fleshed out character where the other captains are good characters i like them but i would want to hang out with john luke picard i'm not gonna say a bad word about that i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna i have nothing bad to say about john luke picard in fact i when deep space nine first came out and like one of the like main kind of i guess plot or character points for cisco was that like he didn't like picard like that kind of like well it's like well i don't like this show then because john luke picard <laughs> is great he is a saint <laughs> That was like the big stumbling block at the beginning. The two things that screwed up Ben Sisko. The first thing was he hated Jean-Luc Picard. The second thing was they made him grow hair. Avery Brooks needs to be bald with a goatee. Mm. Once he was, boom! Ben Sisko's great. I was watching uh, William Shatner did this documentary called The Captains. Right. And uh, they... they broke it up uh, and did some extra footage. Uh, so each captain has a 30-minute uh, special devoted to them. And a lot of it is William Shatner getting them to talk about William Shatner, which is interesting, <laughs> yeah. you know. But uh, I <laughs> no, watched but the... What a- did you think of me? 
<laughs> I watched the Avery Brooks uh, section, and he talked about how he was so mad that they made him grow hair and shave off his goatee. Uh, because he didn't he didn't think that was true to the character, uh, and then once he could have the way he wanted to look, uh, he, he the character clicked for him. He's dynamic. He's he's just dynamic that way. Um, a line must be drawn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I really I think that line right there. I think mm-hmm. some of the best acted moments in all of Star Trek are by you know Captain Picard, and I think like. Star Trek has so many fantastic actors and actresses, but I, I really do think he is a a level of quality beyond any of them, and I, I I think he's great for that reason. And even even in the worst episodes of the Next Generation, you still watch because he's just so good. Mm-hmm. Yep. T. Earl Grey yep. hot, indeed. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna wrap up the positivity <laughs> with yeah. uh, with as uh, you do. Yeah, well, you know, I could order this, but I'm not because David, you're right in pointing out the enormous danger potential in any contact with life and intelligence as fantastically advanced as this. But I must point out the possibilities, the potential for knowledge is equally great. Risk, risk is our business. It's Captain Kirk. It's got to be Captain Kirk. It's got to be really? Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. I, you know, I, I and I can't. Captain Kirk. I have I have known about Captain Kirk since I before I have memory of my life. Captain Kirk was oh. always there. I, and on the playground, despite my bowl haircut, I always played Captain Kirk and not Mr. Spock. Um, <laughs> as an adult watching, you know, there are lots of issues with the original series, but I got to say, I love the idea that this is this guy's a poker player and that he is always trying to work his way out of these jams with uh, deception and trying to talk his way out and trickery. And yes, he will rip his shirt and uh, hit you with two fists on your back in a fight if he needs to. But he could also talk a computer into blowing itself up and has many times. So I just love I just love it. And the Shatner thing, I mean, Shatner, Shatner, Shatner's Captain Kirk. I, I It is this crazy, larger-than-life, iconic kind of performance. And, and uh, so I have to go for it. And then, you know, the movies actually gave him some interesting depth that played up uh, sort of played against the archetype that they had done in the original series and i thought that was really interesting most particularly in star trek 2 that they 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 forced that character to deal with the con the consequences of being that kind of person and i thought that was good too so you know he's just part of my life it's the first time he actually learns something and grows and of course they they walk it back in the third one but still you know he he just that story he he goes through such an amazing arc for him um and and i gotta say you know if it weren't for for that character i think i mean and and i mean kirk spock and mccoy as a trio are just brilliant yeah mccoy mccoy such a great character too if it weren't for that you know there's a reason we know sherlock holmes there's a reason we know batman there's a reason we know these these larger than life characters kirk is right in that mold I don't think we'd have the other series if it hadn't been for just the the largeness of James T. Kirk. I think that's probably true. And I and in the two J.J. Abrams movies, I really appreciated Chris Pine's Kirk. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you do you like him? Do you find him a pale echo? Do you think he? Yeah, I think they did a good job with the casting because what I think it does is point out that these that these characters are really interesting and that Kirk and Spock and McCoy, especially the dynamic there. Although I have to say, Carl Urban's performance has made me really appreciate what a great 
uh, character Bones is because he is there to pick apart everybody else's decisions and be that irritant for everybody else to not get not get uh, complacent. And I, I think that's a great uh, role in drama to have that guy there to throw some elbows and make everybody uncomfortable. But but I do like Chris Pine. He is they, the way that character is written and performed in the in the Abrams movies is, I think, true to the core of of Captain Kirk. So I, I did appreciate that. I find him less annoying personally. Yeah. So, I mean, I like the Captain <laughs> Kirk of the movies because that is a character with gravitas and he feels like he's less of a of a teenager running a starship around the galaxy, maybe. So I don't know. Um, I, I really like Chris Pine. Let's end. Let's end strong, and we'll end negative. Brianna, what, what, bring cart cart somebody out. <laughs> oh man, okay. Bring out your so, dad. So, you know, I could blast. There's so many bad characters you could blast here. <laughs> so many on on the particular series in particular. Right. Yes. <laughs> you could blast Chakotay. You could. You just, just, I love his burritos, though. Uh, They're bear, delicious. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Double chicken. <laughs> I mean. Complete failure as a character. Never as an arc. You know, nope. just just terribly boring. Um, I'm going to be the unpopular person here and say I don't particularly like McCoy either. Ah! Even though he did go to Old Miss, which I did. The knives are out. I know. But he's <laughs> such a Debbie Downer. He is. He's, he's so negative he is. all of the I love time. It. <laughs> like just ruthlessly negative. Do, do, you, do you remember that in the? I think it's in the. It's in a Saturday Night Live sketch when Shatner was hosting. Um, but it's that. It's that moment where uh, I think it's Phil Hartman as McCoy. Uh, Shatner says, "Bones, uh, can you check this guy out? I think he's sick." And, and McCoy goes, "Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a." Oh right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just negative all the time for no reason. And I realize that, like. From a plot perspective, he exists to kind of. He's an irritant. He makes. He, he's an irritant. It, it, it's, it's. Well, he's it, he's a human. He's he's us. Going why? Why are you doing that? To explain why they're doing what they're doing sometimes, or yeah. But I think, despite not liking those characters, the the king of terrible, completely unredeemable Star Trek characters is. Neelix of Voyager. Oh, <laughs> I have tried to make my peace with him because I love that series so much. And like, do you know it's like when you watch Alien Three and you're trying to talk oh, yourself man. into it being a good movie? You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can kind of see what they're doing here. It's it's okay, but he's so annoying. He's so <laughs> awful in every scene he's in. Especially that one where he loses his lungs. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't stop talking either. You think you don't have lungs, you're going to be quiet. No, He's not Neelix. so annoying. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nobody is going to argue with you about Neelix. <laughs> okay. Not a person. I see. I, 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 when I watched that episode where they're all, they all have nightmares, that, because it was on Random Trek, um, and uh, that, that's one of those Chakotay dream episodes. Uh, oh, great. And uh, but it's it's Neelix in his pajamas serving hot cocoa in the mess, and it's just like no, no. Uh, and I just kept I kept thinking, I Neelix is a character that looks like he smells bad. <laughs> I mean, trying to take a, a a a more sympathetic view of it, it's like Quark is annoying, but Quark serves a narrative purpose of like showing the worst of human nature, you know, Ferengi nature, but you know, yeah, as a, as a, it's showing the worst in us with Star Trek showing the best. And 
And I just, I, I don't understand what they were trying to accomplish with Neelix. I mean, maybe <laughs> welcome to the Federation if you've never seen a Star Trek series. I just don't understand it. I mean, what do you think they were trying to accomplish? Well, they just, the, the original writer had seen the Thundercats and he just thought Snark was just <laughs> so great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with, with Quark, if, if Deep Space Nine is Casablanca, you have to have Peter Lorre. Sure. Right. You know, but Neelix, oh. So I think the high concept idea with Neelix was first off that Kess and Neelix were going to have this kind of like weird symbiotic. It's like, we're going to go across the Delta Quadrant, but they're going to be weird aliens there and they're not going to be like what we, but they'll, they'll, they'll show them around. And I mean, there was a whole idea there, but it never came to pass. And, and Ethan Phillips, while who seems to be a perfectly nice fellow was, I mean, he's a, uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's not a good fit. It's and the makeup is weird, and it, he doesn't do anything, and it's not good. And they <laughs> even came out with a Neelix's cookbook, of all the tie-in books they did. Yeah, and it's it it's just it's got this kind of terrifying cover of him with a chef's hat, just looking very jolly. Many many oh. ways to prepare Neelix for your meal. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to Christmas troll someone with that gift this year. I'm going to give them the <laughs> Neelix cookbook. The Neelix cookbook to Christmas troll them, and hey, it's going to be great. Hey Scott, Neelix yes. in jars. <laughs> Neelix's lungs in jars. In jars, yes. <laughs> All right, that is a great choice. Uh, nobody's going to argue with you, Scott. Uh, you, I can't wait to hear who you pick. Go ahead. <laughs> well, let's let's stay with Voyager, shall we? <laughs> 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 oh, no. And let's pick uh, the other worst character. Uh, even I think Kess has some redeeming value. Harry Kim. I love that episode where he dies, though, and then they, there's another one. <laughs> That's a bonus. bonus right. he, he gets uh, blown just, out of uh, Voyager. Jason, I remember that. You can just watch that little ten minute clip on on loop. Uh, on loop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what Harry Kim is supposed to do uh, other than annoy me. Uh, I've I've watched several episodes of Voyager recently. Thank you to uh, the random <laughs> nature of random track, uh, and Harry Kim has done nothing but cause trouble and yeah. be a bumbling idiot. Uh, he, I don't think he was even in the one I watched. Oh my God. He, he, sh- he should have had his organs stolen. <laughs> but <laughs> it didn't work out, apparently. The, the aliens come, they say, we've got, we got Harry Kim's organs here. Do you want them? No. 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 You can keep just them. No. <laughs> we'll just put those back. <laughs> my husband is Chinese, and my husband utterly hates, hates. this yep. character and thinks he is the worst racist stereotype of like asian men because he's completely incompetent he's a bumbler he, yeah. he's a bumbler he never gets the girl he is the butt of every single joke and it's like they pair him up with tom paris to like gallivant around the galaxy with his you know you know he's the asian sidekick and he's just bad he's bad and he does have some episodes where he grows as a character and i do think he does have an arc eventually but he's really annoying for most of the series i think yep again nobody i i I, nobody's gonna argue these points (laughs) tony tony what do you got uh well neelix was just at the top of my list in like number one through 15 or so (laughs) (laughs) so i i just I just hate him so much that I, there's nothing below that for a long, long way. Let's talk about how much we hate him just some more. <laughs> Neelix again. Neelix too. Tufix. You can throw in Tufix. I would like to draft Neelix again. <laughs> Alternate universe Neelix. Um, 
Um, so wow. I guess to, to pick one, uh, just kind of off the top of my head, um, you know, I find Nog pretty annoying. I, I think most of the child characters are not very well written and not very well acted. And he, I mean, like some of the other Ferengi characters like seem to have a little bit more purpose and, you know, Nog gets better eventually. He just ha- doesn't have to die. Like he doesn't die and that like eventually in six or five or six years, he'll be okay. He'll join Starfleet. But like, there's a long, long path in between where he is just like, I'm mischievous and I'm going to get Jake into trouble and I'm going to do that again <laughs> and again. And every now and then I will get mischievous like in a diplomatic situation or something very high stakes. And I just, I, I do not, I do not like that. I do not care for Nog. So. He can get you a good deal on self-sealing stem bolts, though. I'm all about the self-sealing <laughs> stem bolts. You don't want to seal a stem bolt. Nope. No, it's just no good. Uh, I like that episode, but uh, you know, I I don't like Nog. Every time I see Nog in when he goes off to the academy and he comes back and he's got his little outfit with his little like Starfleet colored Ferengi hat, head back of the head thing, I I it just is weird and it yeah. seems and and I don't think I believe that he's in, sorry I'm being racist <laughs> against Ferengis, but it's just like it's Jason, it's, but it's Nog. It's just it's there's some nice stuff they do where like you know like Cisco makes him do like all the worst chores ever in order to get you know like like I like you're trying really hard, but let's let's see if we can incorporate some hazing into this. So really, and he's know? he's a true friend of of Jake, and that's nice. Yeah, but, but like it's kind of like they kind of like take the worst parts of Wesley and just, you know, and then like, let's mix some Ferengi in there and really you know, crank it up to 11. Yeah. Um, everybody loves the Ferengi. David? I'm going back to Deep Space Nine. Oh. Oh. Because the seventh season just, I it, did they really need Esri Dax? Uh, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Wouldn't it have been much more tragic to have lost the symbiont two? Yeah. And then, you know, you've got it, that would have been so much more interesting than, oh, let's all try to get used to the new girl. And, oh, and hey, look, she's kind of interested in Bashir now. Ha, ha, ha. There's irony for you. And I was just, um, I mean, she was a fine actress. There's nothing. I mean, it was all the writing. It was just badly, badly conceived, badly written. And it took away time from what was a really good story in the last season. I mean, as much as I hate Harry Kim and Neelix and, and <laughs> Enterprise. I, I found her very empty. I remember watching those episodes with her. And, I mean, Dax is one of the, the iconic women of, of all of Star Trek. And to just... <sighs> you know, here she goes from being a, a scientist and, and a genius and, and an equal to Cisco, really. Right. And then she goes from that to being, you know, Dr. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Just so empty. Like you you don't you don't there's this razor uh, it's it's this like softness tempered with like a, a really sharp intellect in Dax for most of DS9 and then the new actress just lacks all of that. It just didn't feel true to the character at all. Especially there's so much happening in that last season of Deep Space 9 that like it, it just introducing another main character like there wasn't room for that right it was i mean i it was i i don't really understand why 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 are they there right i mean it's like because they don't make there's not enough room for them to do something with that character and so it's just there's kind of another character for for one season and i yeah 
Nicole DeBoer is a perfectly fine actress, and it's really not her yes. fault. It's no. it's the it's the how do they deal with Terry Farrell wanting to leave the show and. And you're right. Why do we need another character going into this fine? Everybody knows it's the last season. There's so much story here. I think they were so intrigued with the idea of having the, the viewers deal with the, the symbiont change. Because that's the whole story of the mm-hmm. symbionts is that you know you you get to know them as one person and then they're mixed differently in another. And I could see that. But it's almost like if you want to do that, maybe you should do that as an episode. Have Dax come back for one episode in a different body. Not to cast a new character and... Again, I mean, really, what did they do with that character over several stories that they didn't do in the very original episode with the trill on The Next Generation or with the early episodes of Deep Space Nine with other trill things? It's like, no, you've already done the, oh, it's a different person. Ah." Mm -hmm. You know, I think Jadzia Dax is a a fine character, but I feel like they they go back to the trill well, like, like a little... Yeah, a little too much, right? I mean, I think she works great as a character, and there's interesting stuff to her that's based on her past life, and there's some some good episodes in there. But like, they, I think they try and get more there than there is. Are they, do they so. are they poisoning the trill well? Is that what you're saying? I I'd say they're <laughs> you know they've drawn more water than it has. Did somebody fall into the trill so. well. <laughs> Um, okay, I, I get to wrap this up, and I'm gonna see. I'm gonna try to harken back to what Brianna said at the beginning, which is, um, you know, we're gonna are we gonna end here as friends, or is there gonna be horrible controversy that makes people scream? Um, and that's why I'm gonna say uh, Q is a huh. terrible character. And here's yeah, the thing: really? everybody everybody likes Q, right? Everybody talks about Q. Oh, Q, Q, Q. Right? Okay. Well, and I remember John Delancey <laughs> from when he was on, uh, you know, soap operas and stuff like that. But but here's the thing about Q: Q has some good episodes, but Q is bad in a lot of respects. First off, there's some episodes that are just bad that Q is in, like Cupid is a good example. That is a bad episode. It's stupid, dumb jokes. It's bad. Um, Q is also badly written and an excuse oftentimes to make random things happen. Like he's a he's a crutch it's like let's bring q back he's all powerful he'll just do some stuff and and i feel like he removes a lot of drama from a lot of episodes because q is always there to be omnipotent and he can literally do anything so anything that happens can be explained away by the writers as being well you know it's q what you're gonna do um his appearance in encounter at farpoint is um not good it's a it's 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 really it's a bad episode and he's bad in it. Um, he comes back in all good things in the last episode and uh, that's partly to bookend because he was in the first episode. He's not badly used in that episode. He's great in Tapestry, which we did a random trek about. Um, but uh, and he introduces the Borg in in Kuhu, but even there, although he's dark and interesting briefly, also it's a weird episode because you feel like the whole thing is like an unveiling of the Borg because Q's going to come and flip them over there and then he's going to flip them home and say goodbye, everybody. And I just, I don't like that. I don't like this omnipotent character. I don't think he's that funny. Um, I don't think he has as many dimensions. I don't think Delancey can play as many dimensions as they tried to have him play. And <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is, uh, they, and they overused him and they kept bringing him back. Um, yeah. And, and you oh. know, I, did, I don't like Q. Uh, it, although I like a few Q episodes, I actually think Tapestry is his best episode. And it's because mm-hmm. in some ways you don't even know if he was really there. He's just, he could all be in Picard's head. And I love that. I think that's a great use of him. But I think he got overused and I think he got misused. So oh, man. I'm going to, wow. you know, I'm going to say down with Q. I, I don't agree with you, but I think it's a good argument. <laughs> yeah. I think you swayed me. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I was, I was hesitant at first, but you may have swayed. 
I never liked Q, but I liked some of the episodes. I think Tapestry is, in fact, the best Q episode. And it's it says something that it's the only, it's, except for the finale, the only one that doesn't have Q in the title, which makes you wonder again, you know, was he really there? Right. Um, but, the, and that would be the one thing that I don't like across all of The Next Generation is that multiple times Picard and the Enterprise owe their existence to, to Q saving them in the end. You know, oh, here the Borg, here the Borg. The only thing that saves you is I fly, I flashed you away, but they're coming for you now. And he goes away. And and that pissed me off when I watched it the first time. And then every other, you know, it's like, it's just how many times do we have to owe our lives to Q? And and that bugs me. That just bugs me in terms of the, the journey of the hero and all that stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. So you guys must love it when he comes back later and he's like... I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a bunch of other Starfleet officers to harass who happen to be on on shows that you're watching right now. Conveniently, I like a lot of Q moments, and when he comes back on Deep Space Nine, is probably my favorite Q moment because Cisco punches him. And, <laughs> yeah, and he says, "Jean Luc never hit me." Yeah. What about when he becomes sexually obsessed with uh, Captain Janeway? That's kind of awkward. I felt like she's just trying to do her job, you know? And you don't want an omnipotent being to become obsessed with you. That seems like a bad idea. Also, also, I wanted to pick Q because it's just too easy to pick Wesley. And quite honestly, at the end, at the end, Wesley actually got a little bit better. Um, at that first season, Wesley, where he's, again, Wesley, keep off the grass, Wesley. Keep off the grass. <laughs> keep off the grass. <laughs> But then Wesley basically becomes like a Q light, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wes- Wesley, you're right, Scott. Wesley becomes um, the traveler. The traveler. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's good times. I feel like the most overrated and underrated Star Trek character would be a good like category for this list on a future episode. All right. So I'm going to add that. Overrated and underrated. We also have, uh, like, we could, we could talk about best series and worst series, best movies and worst movies, best captains and worst captains. But you know what? That's going to have to wait for part two of Star Trek Best and Worst. We're going to have to come back another time to do even more. And maybe we'll do more Best and Worst characters, too. Why not? Uh, oh, who is the... Uh, uh, the? Well, there's Mott the Barber. I was going to say Mott Ma- and Morn. We should talk about our favorite characters with no dialogue, you know? <laughs> I have Spot and Porthos. Ooh, uh, nice. Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh, and, uh, but don't don't put them together. I always preferred Picard's fish, that I can never remember the type of fish. Uh, li- and it's li- <laughs> Livingston was his name, wasn't it? Well, no, but the, the name of the fish, which is, you know, like 15 syllables... Um, it's the, isn't it the national fish of Hawaii? Well, not national. No, that's not, that's not that fish. That's a different fish. I've seen that fish. And, uh, what the Leah Brahms, uh, the, the holographic girlfriend version, the Geordie can't get a real girlfriend. So they always give him holographic girlfriends. I I like the awkward real life version where she finds out about the holographic version. Oh, that's so good. So sweet. So sweet. (laughs) You've been playing date with me in the holodeck. And you thought Berkeley had problems. Yeah, yeah, that that's really awkward. Garrick, <laughs> one of my favorite characters, or Gold Ducat, I meant to say. Oh, Gold Ducat, like yeah. Gold, Gold Ducat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. This was a lot more civil than I was thinking it was going to be. Like, this is this is good. This is good. Best and worst Neguses. There's a lot of places to go here. Yes, that's true. 
So we will we will go there later. But for this, see, because then we get more Star Trek episodes in against the Star Wars episodes, and we up up the uh, ratio because that is our goal here is to get more Star Trek episodes on the Incomparable. You're fair and balanced. I am trying to get the well. I was so I was so fair to Star Wars <laughs> that I did like a billion episodes of Star Wars, and and you could say that you were too fair. I think mm. you could, and I and and I think you just did, Tony. And I agree with you. <laughs> All right. I am going to wrap it up then. This has been great. We're going to do this again soon. We got we got to. This was too too much fun. Brianna Wu, thank you for coming back on. It was great to have Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And we and we all we we all survived. We're all okay. I'm okay. All right. I'm okay. We talked this out. We did. Okay. We did. We we all we all leave the arena as we entered it. We're all doing good. Scott McNulty, thank you for being here. Uh best and worst theme song. <laughs> that's not even a contest and of course you know we plugged it a few times but people should listen to random trek which is a, a a hoot where scott talks to somebody about a random episode of star trek which has forced me to watch these weird episodes of voyager that i've not seen before <laughs> oh voyager yeah and enterprise too so mm. there's that enterprise where everybody's asleep it's like the, it should be Chakotay should appear in a dream, except the times don't work up. But it's just like one of those episodes. Um, David Lore, thank you for being here. Thank you. And hey, stay tuned for that Neelix's Lungs episode of Random Trek. It's it's genius. I can't wait to see who gets that one. I don't have to watch that episode of Voyager, right? I mean, I can just listen to you guys talk about it. No, no, you have to watch. I'm not suffering through that alone. No, I, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll get there. Didn't you already suffer through it alone? Is there, <laughs> is there a temporal loop here? What's going that's on? What they, that's what they say about, uh, about life, is you, you have to watch Star Trek episodes alone. When you watch an episode, a random episode of Voyager, we're all O'Brien here. So. <laughs> and, and Tony, you keep talking. I can't say goodbye to you. Goodbye, Tony. <laughs> goodbye, Jason. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it was fun. And thank you to everybody out there. You can send us your hate mail about how we how we said that the, your favorite thing wasn't uh, wasn't our favorite thing, or vice versa. Do that too. Your love mail about how the thing you love, we also love. You can do that too. Until next time on the incomparable, I've been Jason Snell. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>